All right, hello City First Church family. You excited to be in church today? Come on, let me hear you. I'm excited. I'm excited you're here. Well, listen, let's take a moment. Let's put our hands together for City First Anywhere locations right now. Cape Coral, Southwest Florida. Also, Dixon and Hardy, God Behind Bars. And everybody joining us on the Pando app. Thank you so much for being here. And obviously, the Spring Creek and Saline locations that are here in the house. We are so excited that you're in church. And uh, you know what? Before I jump into my message, I just want to take a moment. I'm going to put an exclamation point on what you've already heard a couple times today. And that is that this Friday, we have a worship night. And I want to give you a little history on it. Back at the beginning of 2021 this year, um, I really felt like the Lord put upon my heart to talk to Pastor Sam and the worship teams here at City First. And I believe that there was a song that was in the church that needed to be written, needed to be orchestrated, and needed to be recorded. I just felt like there was something that could be like another level of where an already amazing worship team was at, but if they would collaborate, get together, pray, and believe that God was going to do great things, there were going to be songs that came out of it that could be anthems for our church. And so when I talked to Sam about it, he resonated with it, and immediately the worship teams went into, I mean, worship retreats, writing retreats. I mean, they have been working, working, working for months, and out of it has come some amazing, amazing songs that, again, carry the spirit and the heart of this church, but most importantly, lift up the name of Jesus. This is not about a church. It's about Jesus Christ, and so this Friday night, we're going to be singing them and capturing the audio for the EP, so I need y'all to come out, all right? We need to like pack the room, bring your friends, bring anybody that can sing, and even if you can't sing, we're going to edit you out. It's okay, all right? So listen, just come ready to have church on Friday night and to worship, and again, all the information is on the screen, and I hope that you do come, and it's going to be a, uh, a historic occasion. Like Lisa said earlier, we've never done this before, so I'm excited to see what God is going to do. It's, in fact, it's kind of amazing what we record on Friday night other churches around the world might sing. Does that make sense? So let's be here and be a part of what God is doing. Well, it is that time of the year. It's a time when uh, parents start getting back in a routine and students can't sleep in until 11 o'clock in the morning because it is back to school season, right? And uh, some of the students are super excited about that, and some not so much. But I will tell you, we are excited about Christian Life Schools. Our very own school here at City First starts on Wednesday, and we are praying for all of the faculty and the administration. But on top of that, if you are an educator, regardless of whether you're in a public school or a private school, your assignment is so vitally important. And I realize even in the last school year, it has been difficult with COVID, but I want you to know your church, City First, is praying for you, teacher. We're praying for you, principal, superintendent. We're praying for our communities and our schools and our students, and we're believing that this year is going to be a blessed year. Come on, let's give it up for all of our educators. Can we do that? We appreciate all y'all. Last May, at the end of the school year, right before summer break, I was walking into the building here, and um, there were some uh, smaller classes, the little, the little guys, all right, the, like kindergartners and first graders were coming 
into the lunchroom. And you remember when you were in elementary and when you left the classroom and you're going to lunchroom, you had to get in single file line and you couldn't talk, otherwise the teacher would bust you, right? So it's the same way. They were all walking very quietly, very diligently in single file down the hallway as I was walking in. And whenever that happens, if I ever do run into students, it's kind of fun because um, they recognize me and so they get excited but they can't talk so they like jump up and down and do this kind of thing, try to get my attention and I'm like, hi, and I'm like, shh, don't talk, you know, that kind of thing. Well, anyway, there was this one boy that just literally could not contain himself. He was so excited and the rest of the class were waving and he decided to shout out. He says, you look like John Cena. <laughs> literally, to me. And I was like, son, I don't know your name, but you get straight A's for the rest of this year. I'm going to let you know. <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know who John Cena is, he's a professional wrestler. In fact, this is a picture of him. I mean, I could kind of see where the kid's coming from. You know what I mean? I mean, there is a little bit of a resemblance there, I think, you know? And I thought to myself, what a smart kid. This kid's a genius, probably. Doesn't have 20-20 vision, but yet he's a genius. So I was kind of laughing about it. I walked in my office. I was like, the kid just called me John Cena. He said I look like John Cena. That's awesome. But this is the thing. From a distance, maybe to him, maybe to him, I look like John Cena. But the closer I got, he was probably thinking, gosh, he looks nothing like John Cena. And this is what I know, that John Cena is like super strong, and I'm not as strong as he is, all right? And I thought to myself, I thought, that's the way it is a lot in life. From a distance, things look better, stronger than what sometimes they really are when you get close. And I thought about the last 18 months of COVID, and you know what COVID has done? Is that COVID has made us all off balance, it has caused us to pivot, and it also made the facades that many of us have, including myself, in our lives of looking strong, all of a sudden come down, and the reality set in, and we got real up close with ourselves and the reality of everything going on in our world, and we found out that we're a lot weaker than we thought we were. It's kind of interesting, you ever know somebody or meet somebody, and from a distance they look like life is, you know, all put together. Their Instagram looks all put together. Their TikTok is all put together. Facebook, whatever it is that you look at. And yet, then when you get to know the person, you're like, oh man, they're, they're not as put together as I thought. It's because we always put our best on social media, right? And it's kind of interesting. It's like COVID has caused us to realize that what looks strong from a distance maybe isn't as strong. And so you might know people that you thought, man, I thought they had a strong faith. And now I'll tell you what, the last 18 months, they're MIA. I don't, I don't see them at church. I don't see them at life group. Or, or maybe like, you know what, you thought, boy, they prayed a lot. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like you get up close and you're like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. See, things can look very strong from a distance. They can look like John Cena from a distance, you could say. But when you get close, all of a sudden you realize there's cracks in the armor, there's weakness, there's struggles, there's all of those things. And, you know, I preached a message about a year ago, actually, when the crisis uh, kind of first started. And I talked about that a crisis in our life, regardless if it was COVID or whatever, any crisis, it is a clarifier, it clarifies things, it's a magnifier, and it is an amplifier in our lives. And here, this last 18 months have revealed the truth 
about what's going on in many of our lives, right? And maybe it's not what people perceived. And, and this is what I know. I know that God has a will and a desire for your life. And it is this, that you are strong whether it's in a good season or a struggle season, whether it is easy riding or whether you find yourself on a bumpy stretch of the road, God wants you to be strong. God wants you also to grow. In fact, God is a God of increase even in difficult times. It's kind of funny, even when he prunes us or our lives, it's for the sake of future growth. God doesn't have a reverse gear. He doesn't want to go back to yesteryear. He wants to go forward, and he wants us to go with him. The enemy, though, the enemy wants decline. He wants backwards. He wants fear. He wants decrease. He wants quitting. He wants backsliding. But God's church and by the way, we're the church, all right? The church is not the building. We're the church. God's church will always eventually grow, even in the midst of hardship. God's people will always grow, even in the midst of hardship. In other words, we're not just waiting around for a virus to go away and for life to return back to normal. Do you know God wants you to grow even in this season? And he wants you to be strong even in this season. In fact, I do a lot of studying of the first century church. You know, this is the church that we read about in the New Testament. And that church was under a lot of persecution, a lot of hardships, had a lot of difficulties, had a lot of struggles. And yet, this is what the Bible says about the first century church found in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, verse 5. It says, that says the churches were strengthened in faith, everybody say strengthened, and they increased, turn to the person next to you and say increased, turn to the other person and say in numbers daily. Now think about this, think about this. So really the churches were strengthened in their faith. What was the result, the byproduct of it, was that they increased, how did they increase in numbers? I know some people maybe even heard this, well-meaning people have said this, maybe even pastors have said this, that we really shouldn't focus on numbers, that churches shouldn't focus on numbers, that that's unhealthy. It should just, churches should focus on spirituality. Well, I think you should, you know, focus on both. I mean, it's both spirituality and numbers. Let me give you an example. How many of you say in your immediate family, like your close family, there are people who are not following Christ? They're not Christ followers, right? Okay. All right. Hands are up everywhere, I'm sure, at every location. How about if I were to look at you and say, now think about that person you just raised your hand about, okay? How about if I were to say as your pastor, you know what? We're not so concerned about them coming to church because we're not really focused on numbers. It's not about them coming to church because we don't want to have an unhealthy focus on numbers. Instead, we that already go to church are just going to focus on being deeper and more spiritual with Jesus. Now somehow that doesn't feel right, right? Because here's the thing, the person that is in your family, you want them to become a Christ follower. You want them to experience forgiveness. You want them to come to church, right? So that person matters. We want to get them in the house 
we want them to be here, and guess what? They're a part of a number. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that it's God's will that not one should perish. By the way, one is a number. Not one should perish. So I'm telling you as your pastor, I unashamedly am all about spirituality and about numbers. Because here's the reason why. Every number is a soul. And every soul has a future. And every soul has a story. So yes, we're all about numbers here. We take numbers very seriously because for us, we realize that growth is important. I love what Pastor Chris Hodges says. He says, growth is essential as long as heaven and hell are realities. That is such a powerful statement. So churches must grow and people must grow. It isn't just okay to stay the same. 95% of churches last year did not baptize one person in America. That's not good. That's not good. So here's what I've discovered. Some churches grow, some churches don't. Some people grow, some people don't. Why? Well, I put down a list of a few things. This is not an exhaustive list by any chance or a stretch of the imagination. There's probably way more reasons. But as I read these, I want you to be thinking not just of the corporate church. I want you to think about you. If you're feeling weak right now, if you're feeling like the wind is out of your sails, maybe the last 18 months have just kicked your can and you're just like, oh my gosh, Maybe one of the reasons why you're feeling that way is found in one of these five reasons why churches and people don't grow. The first one is this, a lack of direction. A lack of direction. The Bible says without a, a vision, without vision, the people will perish. In other words, without vision, people drift. And they become really, like, like really focused on unimportant things. And they try to find, like, happiness in unimportant things. And so here's the thing. A lot of times people or churches don't grow because there's no vision there. Or maybe in a church they're not unified around a vision. You have some people want to do this, and some people want to do this, and the senior pastor wants to do this. And so here's the thing. You have to have direction. Second thing is this, a lack of desperation. This is a biggie. In other words, that there isn't prayer. There isn't like a desperation for God to move. It's kind of like a casual uh, kind of inquiry of God. Like you casually pursue him. But rather, if you want to see growth in your life or you want to see growth in a church's life, it's when people say, I'm desperate for the move of God. I want the move of God in my life. Every day, God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. That's what Moses said, by the way. It's like, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. And so there has to be a desperation. Third thing is a lack of distinction. In other words, there's no holiness. There's no, nothing that separates or stands out in their life or in the church's life compared to culture. In fact, uh, you would almost say it this way. They're in the world and of it rather than that in the world and not of it. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that we are salt and we're light, which means your life should look different than someone who doesn't follow Jesus. And the church should look different than culture. And so sometimes people and churches don't grow because there's no distinction. There's no, there's no salt. There's no light. Here's another one, a lack of devotion. In other words, they're not all in. You're not all in. It's kind of like, you know, there's a sense of just kind of dabbling kind of in God. Rather, you know, you have to put in the hard work. Yes, it is about prayer, but prayer has to be married with works, all right? In fact, the Bible says it this way, faith without works is dead. So, you know, it's not just 
faith. It's not just, you know, prayer. That's one wing on the airplane to get lift. But rather, the other wing is hustle and grind and hard work. And it takes time. And, you know, anything that you prioritize, you have to make time for. You have to put effort into, right? We know this in work. We know this in parenting. We know this in sports. It's not like you can just go out if you want to be great in sports and you never practice and you never work out and you just go out in the field and all of a sudden you're a superstar. It doesn't work that way, right? You have to put in the devotion. You have to put in the hard work. It's the same way with your relationship with Jesus. It's faith and works. And the last reason why a lot of churches and people don't grow is a lack of draw. What do I mean by that? Well, they've lost their mission. There isn't a bring spirit to the church. There isn't a missional side to a person's life. In fact, I'm going to use an old-fashioned term here that's still relevant, but there isn't evangelism. Evangelism is basically saying, God, help me to be used in whatever environment I'm in, school, work, wherever I'm at, because I want to be able to share the love of Jesus with others, share my testimony, invite people to church. It's that missional side of life, right? Well, COVID has been a wake-up call because it's disrupted churches and people all over the world, literally. And what has happened is a lot of people... A lot of churches have stalled out, stalled out on their spiritual growth, and they don't feel strong, and they feel weak, and they feel almost kind of like they're in this, like, haze, you could say. Well, so what do you do about it? What do you do about it? Well, um, I want to give you the solution here, the solution to if you feel like you're not growing, if you feel like you're weak, if you're not as strong, you may look like John Cena from a distance, but up close, you look more like Jeremy DeWert. (laughs) You know, if you, if you really don't feel as strong, there is a verse in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he would hear God and then speak God's word to the people. And this is a message from God through Jeremiah to God's people. And it says this, it says, this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Now let me stop there for a moment. That right there explains our world in the last 18 months. Like we are at a crossroads. I mean, every day there's new information out. There's new people with opinions on what we should do and what we should not do. There's new policies and regulations, right? We're literally at a crossroads. What's a crossroad? That's when you're there and there's multiple ways that you can go. And we're sitting there going, God, give us wisdom. We want to travel the right path, right? So we're at a crossroads. COVID has created a crossroads for churches and for us as Christ followers. So what does God say to that? He says this, ask for the old godly way. I think that's interesting. When you're at a crossroad, God is saying, why don't you ask me for the old godly way? Another another translation says the ancient path, the ancient path. And then walk in it. So figure out the way you have walked. Figure out what worked before. And then go walk in it is what it's saying here. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. There may be new methodologies. But there are no new assignments for us as Christ followers or a church. Ladies and gentlemen... It is still love God, love people, and love life. You ever heard that city first before? (laughs) 
Love God, love people, love life. It's still all about that. It's still, like we talk about in Growth Track, it's still about knowing God. It's about growing in faith. It's about living it out. And it's about passing it on. Now, it might be packaged different, but it's still that. And it's still our mission about introducing everyone to Jesus and teaching them to follow him. In other words, we keep on looking for new, and God is saying, go to the old paths. Go to what worked before and walk it again. See, how God built strength in your life before is how he is going to rebuild strength in your life again. That is huge. How God built your faith before is how he is going to rebuild your faith again. How God built your passion for Jesus before is how he's going to rebuild again. I mean, what'd you do? You read the Bible, you prayed, you joined a life group, you went to church pretty consistently, you, you tried to do the right thing, you surrounded yourself with the right people. What were the old paths you did before COVID? Well, listen, do those again, and you're going to build back your strength, your passion, your faith, all those things that COVID stole from you. You hear that? Do the old path again. Walk it again. And I saw this, and I'm like, oh, this is mind-blowing. Because for a church, the way that God built City First is how he's going to rebuild City First. Like, we're in a rebuilding. We used to have multiple services, but, you know, obviously because of health reasons and, and the virus and things like that, we reduced. And now we have, like, multiple, multiple, multiple thousands of more people watching online. But we're trying to rebuild every area in person, and we're trying to expand online. So guess what? God was telling me, go back to 2007. That's when I took over the church. And how did it build? You know, by 2012, we were the seventh fastest growing church in the nation, right here in good old Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> and here's the thing. He's having me go back. What did we do between 2007 and 2012? Go back to the ancient path. Walk it again. Now, it might be built different. It might look a little bit different. It's going to definitely now have more of an online presence. But at the end of the day, this is what I know. God is building his church, and he's doing it by us going back to the ancient paths and practicing those principles over and over and over again. And for you personally, maybe you got to get good again at doing the old stuff. Maybe you got to get good again at doing the old stuff. I meet people and, you know... Target or wherever, and they'll be like, oh, I haven't been to church, and it's not that it's a health thing. I just kind of got out of the habit, and I'm like, go back to the old path. Get back in church. Again, now, if you feel comfortable, we never are giving any sort of a vibe or, 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 or casting any sort of, of, of a shadow on anybody who do, does not feel comfortable coming in person. Maybe they're immunocompromised. Maybe there's health reasons. Hey, listen, if you're watching right now online, I am totally cool with that. I'm just glad you're a part of this church, all right? Do you hear that? We're never going to shame you for that. But this is what I do know. If you're staying away for health reasons, that's good. If you're staying away for habit reasons, get back. Does that make sense? Because here's what I know. If you just got out of the habit, if you just, let me call a spade a spade, if you're just kind of lazy on Sunday mornings, and it's easier to sit there and just kind of like, you know, kick up your feet on the ottoman and just do this. Hey, listen, come back because there's something pretty amazing about being in the dynamic of live worship that is here in the house next to people. Do it safely. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to socially distance, we got plenty of room here. But all I could say is, is this. If it's out of habit, get back. If it's health, 
then you stay and you, you make sure that you do it in a way that is wise for you, and we applaud that 1,000%, all right? In my opinion, this is what I believe. I believe that there is a growing desire in our culture, and actually COVID is causing this, a growing desire for an authentic experience with God, not pretense, not fake, not flashy, but rather foundational, substantive, supernatural, and real. People want the real thing. They don't just want religion. Religion points to rules, but instead, Jesus points to a relationship. Does that make sense? You heard a lot about fake news in the last, like, three or four years. Well, I will tell you, there's fake faith. <laughs> and fake faith looks good from a distance. It looks strong as John Cena. But when you get up close and it's really challenged, it fades. It does not work. People want the real kind of faith. And I believe you can get that through a screen or you can get that in person. But what you got to do is you got to go after it. You got to be consistent and you got to be hungry for it. And so as we close today, I'm going to tell you one of the ancient paths that we did as a church that as I went back to 2007 in my mind and I'm trying to think about what we did, I'll tell you, this right here was a game changer. This was part of the secret sauce that I think God used to grow his church. And it's the principle of the empty chair. Now, we didn't call it that. That's something I just recently named this. In fact, in June, I knew I was going to preach this message. God put it in my heart in June, and he gave me the idea of a life with an empty chair. If we take on the culture and the worldview, you could say, of having a life with an empty chair, that God is going to bless that and rebuild some things. And, and an empty chair basically is this. I've been studying, I've been studying the table the table for the last couple years. And you're like, well, like how to make tables? No, not how to make tables. Uh, but but not, not just physical tables, but more like the metaphor of a table and what the Bible says about tables. Because there's tables all throughout Scripture, all right? And, and, and so I started to study this. And, you know, some of the things I found, um, just even with, like, uh, recent science, Okay, this is not necessarily biblical, but I believe the Bible would hold this. This is more like some studies recently done. Do you know that one out of four of us, or 25% of us, eat fast food at least once a day? Normally through a drive-thru. You know, and I know like, no, no one's shocked by that because everybody's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right, maybe it's even more than one out of four. Do you know 60 years ago, this is fascinating, 60 years ago, the dinner time lasted an average of 90 minutes for the American family. 90 minutes, an hour and a half dinner time every night, 60 years ago. The average now is less than 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And maybe, maybe that's why the average parent spends only 38 and a half minutes a week in conversations that are meaningful with their children. 38 and a half minutes a week. We've lost the table in our culture. We've replaced it with drive-throughs. We've replaced it with our crazy schedules. We've replaced it with speed. And we found ourselves not having tables. In fact, here's a study. The number one factor they found for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, and kind, the number one factor was frequent family dinners. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children is frequent 
family dinners. Isn't that wild? In fact, the University of Minnesota found that the best prescription to prevent eating disorders among adolescent girls was frequent family dinners with, quote, a positive atmosphere. And according to a pediatric study that came out in 2004, I realize it's a little bit older. It's like 17 years old, right? But it came out in 2004. I'd say it's probably even amplified now. But according to this pediatric study, the variable most associated with lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts for kids 11 to 18 was frequent family dinners. When people had frequent family dinners, that the depression began to go down. Isn't that wild? There's something beneficial about sitting around a physical table. There's something about getting in community. There's something about being around other people. What did COVID tell us to do? Get away from people. COVID said, go isolate, get in a room. Do you know that your IQ drops 30 points when you do isolation for too long? I mean, like, like here's the thing. We, we've lost the table. And I would even say as a church, as a church in general, now I'm saying capital C church, because of reasons, you know, we couldn't meet and, you know, there was the virus and all these things. Well, we've gotten out of the habit of being around the table. That's why we love life groups so much because this is a big room and there's a lot of other rooms that are watching right now through the camera. But here's the thing, when you get around a table or you get in a living room with people or maybe it's a, a, a coffee shop or wherever, break room, you begin to do life with one another and it creates something here that you can't find just in a big group. And if COVID did anything, it caused us to isolate and it caused us to think too much about ourselves. And already we were a culture that thought too much about ourselves. I mean, really. See, life needs tables. Life needs tables. In fact, in Psalm 23, famous Psalm, some of you already know it, even though maybe you're not churched, maybe it's your first time, you, you know the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the King James Version, and everybody always got confused about that, it makes it sound like we don't want the shepherd, no, it means that there is no need, the Lord is my shepherd, I have no need, would probably be the best way of translating that, but David, who wrote that, he went on to, to write this, and again, you, you probably heard it before, but it said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now stop a minute. What David's saying is he's going through hellish situations. He's in a valley. He's talking about a metaphor here of being in a valley. And he's like, the enemy is coming against me. So what does God do? Does God do for David? Does he eliminate the enemy? No. Does, does God take David out of the valley? No. What does he do? David goes on to write, he says this, you, meaning God, prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know that there are a lot of people right now at City First and a lot of people that someday will be coming to City First that are at your workplaces and your schools, they are going through the valley of the shadow of death. They are struggling. And you know what they need? They need a table. They need a place where they could be nourished. They need a place that they can find friendship, authentic friendship, and real love. They need a place where they could be fed, right? So in the middle of David's battle, he doesn't provide a miracle and get rid of all the enemy, but instead he provides a table for David, a place where David can be nourished. Do you know that every single mention of Jesus 
post-resurrection, like after he rose from the dead, every single one of them, Jesus is eating with people. Literally. Even on the road to Emmaus, when, when he's walking, he then has dinner once they get to the destination. In fact, one of the mentors of mine, Leonard Sweet, said it this way. He says, Jesus ate good food with bad people all the time. The first commandment of the Bible is eat in Genesis. The last commandment of the Bible in Revelation is drink. And everything in between is life's table. And I'm not just talking a physical table. I'm talking the metaphor of the table of your life. Who do you do life with? And more importantly even, do you have an empty chair at your table? See, this is where I believe the secret sauce was back in the day for City First, and still is. This is still happening, but I hopefully today am inspiring all of us to own this worldview. All of us like pour gasoline on this fire. That in our life, in our life's table, we have our family, we have our friends, those people that are closest to us that we feel most comfortable with, but may we always put an empty chair in place setting out for someone who has not yet joined us, right? In other words, someone in your world needs to be invited to the table of your life. In fact, most of you are here today because someone brought you to their table. Someone said, hey, show up on Sunday. I'll save you a seat. Someone said, hey, you want to come over, neighbor? You want to come over and have like a cookout in the backyard with me? Someone said, hey, listen, do you, you want to come to Life Group? Someone else said, hey, listen, you want to come to Vive? We're really doing this great thing. You want to come to summer camp with me? See, I'm telling you, someone put out an empty chair for you and invited you to sit down and all of a sudden join their life. And guess who also was sitting at the table of their life? Jesus. So when you sat down at the table of their life, you met their Savior, their best friend, Jesus, who is also at that table. And guess what? Now you know Jesus. And it'd be very easy for all of us, including myself as a pastor, it'd be very easy for us to just have a closed table. It's reserved, right? You ever gone to a restaurant and you're like, you're like, hey, I didn't put in a reservation. Um, are there any empty tables? Nope, all reserved. We can't fit you. You have to go somewhere else. See, it's easy for us to do that as Christians. We could always just have a reserved table. Now it's just me and my four and no more, us seven all the way to heaven. We're just going to talk about prophecies, and we're going to talk about the Greek and the Hebrew, and we're going to talk about this and that and everything. And here's the thing. There's a world out here that is going through the valley of the shadow of death, and they need a table, but they need a place at the table. They need an invite to the table. Are you thinking about who is not at the table yet? Like when you go to work tomorrow, who's not at the table yet? When you go to school this week, who's not at the table yet? Who has to be invited? But guess what? Like when you have a guest over, what do you do? You make sure there's a place setting, right? You make sure that they have a cup and they have a plate and they have silverware and there's a space for them, which means you need to prepare that moment. You need to say, hey, listen, I want to invite you. It's intentional. People don't show up at the table of your life by mistake. There has to be an invite, right? So if you really want to live life to the fullest, whatever age you are, always be bringing someone to the table of your life. Always be doing that because people need a place to belong. And as I close, the church, the church, out of every organization in the entire world, the church 
should be the best at setting a table for other people to come. It should be the best to look right now. Some of you are watching online for the first time and you're checking out this church just like that testimony before Jake was. And I'm telling you at City First, there is a place setting for you. Do you hear that? There's a place for you. Here's your invite. But many of your friends and coworkers and neighbors aren't even watching right now. But guess what? They're watching you. And you know what? This is a great time to say, hey, I've created an empty chair at the table in my life. Will you come and have a seat? Because I want to introduce you to someone who is a great, great Savior, who died, who loves you just the way you are, but loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are. You see, who knows that when you invite people to the table of your life, eventually, if they don't meet your Savior. And so... That's why a lot of times churches do or don't grow. Because some churches, they've basically created just programming for people that are already there. But at City First, we have programming for people that are here, but we have a lot of effort for people that aren't. Because we believe this, the future of City First doesn't even attend City First. Think about that. And so I just know this. We want to be a church that doesn't just look like John Cena from a distance. We want to be a church that is strong and growing. And when people get up close, they're like, wow, I found Jesus. And I feel stronger. And I'm now forgiven. And I, I, I found purpose in my life, right? So the way that God built City First pre-COVID is how he will rebuild City First post-COVID one seat at a time. One seat at a time. But it requires you. It requires you to create that space for them. And here, this is a great season to do it because beginning in September, every Sunday in September, we have a series called At the Movies. The reason we do this series is because one of our favorites, a lot of fun, but it's also an easy on-ramp for all your friends and family and relatives and neighbors and coworkers that do not know Jesus. This is the time to do it. This is the time to create the empty seat and invite them to come because we are going to take modern day stories called movies. And I'll tell you what, if anybody did anything during COVID, they watched a lot of Netflix, right? So America likes movies. We take movies and we take the truths out of them and we point to Jesus. And guess what? It'll have handles on it for them to understand. And who knows that if you create an empty chair, they'll sit there and they'll discover Jesus in the month of September. So will you invite, will you bring, will you save a seat for people beginning the first weekend of September? I promise you, if you do that, the Holy Spirit is gonna move in this place and we're gonna see God bring increase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you that you modeled for us a life of an empty seat. You kept on having dinner with sinners, the Bible says. You kept on reaching out to those that were not popular, those that weren't in the religious group, but you reached out to those average Joes and Janes, people like us. You went to them and you said, I want to have dinner with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want you to have a relationship with me. May we have that kind of proactivity. And I pray, Lord, blow the roof off of this place in the month of September. I pray there would be so many empty chairs that are filled with people that God, you would just get all of the glory. We love you. 
we thank you. Use us this week, I pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that?